done this. <laughs> this is, well, I'll, I guess, including the one that isn't going to air, I guess this is my fourth time. It's fine. <laughs> I've already forgotten what I'm supposed to say. My name and you're looking to pay for something, right? <laughs> yeah. That's yeah. it. Got it. We're done. Yeah. <laughs> this is Athena Naylor, and you are listening to Paper Cuts. Welcome to Paper Cuts, the podcast that explores the contemporary world of DIY publishing and zines. I am your co-host, Christopher Cardenbicus, and I am joined by my co-host, Jennifer Lewis. Hello, Jennifer. Hello, Christopher. And today we are joined by the person who has perhaps been part of Paper Cuts most frequently, Athena Naylor. Athena is a DC-based cartoonist specializing in autobiocomics. Her work has been featured in Nat Brute and the Washington Post, and in 2021, she received an honorable mention for the Chicago Alternative Comics Expo, otherwise known as Cake, Cupcake Award. Recently, she was a recipient of a wherewithal research grant from the Washington Project for the Arts. Athena, welcome back to Paper Cuts for the like 10th time. Thank you. It's great to be here. <laughs> here in and my home, first... virtually. <laughs> yeah. Your first uh, solo podcast recording as everything else has been part of like multiple groups or like panel discussions. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm glad we get to have a bit of an extended conversation. Um, but I'd like to start off with the wherewithal grant from the WPA, which is specifically to support your current research into the story of your Aya, your grandmother, moving from Smyrna to to the US. Can you tell us a little bit about the project itself? And I'd like to get a little bit into the research that you've done as well. Sure. Um so both of my grandparents on my dad's side uh, grew up in Turkey during like the last decade of the Ottoman Empire. Um, my papu or my grandpa, he actually left or I mean effectively escaped the catastrophe in 1922, which was the burning of Smyrna. Um, and all of that was super documented because in the 1970s he actually wrote, you know, an autobiography that has just been passed around the family, like a typewritten autobiogra autobiography. Um, but concerning my Yaya's life, um, she had never written anything down. Everything that I had heard about her had really been passed down, like in snippets from various relatives. And it seemed like such a shame, honestly, that there wasn't a consolidated story about her because she led kind of like an extraordinary life. I mean, considering that she was born in Bursa, which is a small town, small village, essentially in Turkey. Um, her dad died during the 1918 flu. So she was just an orphan on the streets for a few years until like extended family literally came, found her on the street, picked her up. They immigrated, took a ship over to the United States. And then she lived with her aunt in Chicago and just, I mean, managed to build a life for herself coming from being an illiterate, like 12, 13 year old with head lice, like did not know English, could not write Greek uh -huh. or Turkish. So, and then like really, I mean, yeah, it's, it's kind of a, a success story. It's, I mean, in a way, it's kind of a stereotypical, like the American dream, like she came to America and she like found the love of her life and had two kids and like, you know, all this stuff. But um, 
yeah, I think on a selfish level, it was also a way for me to, I mean, kind of reconstruct, I guess, who she was. Because he, yeah. he died when I was in sixth grade, I think. Um, but I had never gotten a chance to, like, speak with her because the entire, like, since I was born, she had really advanced Parkinson's. And it was in the stage where she couldn't move on her own and couldn't really speak. So oh. as a, as a child, I, uh, <laughs> I don't, I, I really didn't, I didn't know how to really interact with her. I didn't really understand the nature of her condition. And then she died. And then only after she died, my parents were like, yeah, she was an incredible woman. And I was like, great. Wish I had known that <laughs> when she yeah. was fucking alive. Um, yeah. So it's been a really fulfilling project and I'm I'm just really grateful that it's not only given me a chance to learn a lot of like personal history and also just kind of international like history that I was not very well read on beforehand but it's gotten given me a chance to you know talk to extended family that like I don't get a chance to talk to very often so yeah yeah when you were growing up, was your area still in Chicago or were yes. you close? Okay. Yeah. Um, she was living in Evanston with my uncle with live-in care um, in the duplex where my parents actually grew up. So, oh, wow. yeah. That's amazing. Um, when did your papu die? Before I was born in 1988. Okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's just, like, I have a similar story with, with my papu who wrote down his entire life and my, uh, who, like, never really learned to write. Um, oh, wow, yeah. So, yeah, it's just, I'm really glad that you're engaged in this project to try to reconstruct her life and also, like, reconnect with it. Um, like, obviously, these stories that kind of get forgotten in the family are the ones that are not really written down. Yeah. Um, how long have you been engaged in the research for now? I mean, quote unquote, seriously, really just this past year, but I mean, yeah. even as part of the research, I just like <laughs> did the search engine in my email account, like, yeah, yeah. And then I was like, oh, I've been asking, like, I was emailing my dad in like 2018, like, give me like bullet points of like the timeline or what you know, or, you know, so like, I've been interested, it's something that I've been talking about for years and to use that like project idea to you know go for the grant it just gave me the extra push I needed to be like okay you told people now <laughs> that you're gonna yeah. do this and they gave you money to do it so um yeah yeah and can you talk a little bit about the nature of doing the research like obviously it's talking to people mm. as well as researching the history but like, how have you engaged or maybe re-engaged some of your family members to gather these stories? Are you thinking about uh, ideas around, like, how one should properly collect, like, an oral history? Yeah, I mean, I know, like, I read, um, there are a bunch of documents, especially if you want to take oral histories to put them in, like, archives, like, in libraries and stuff. There are all these, like, kind of set things that was never really my intention to do. I mainly wanted like recorded interviews as my own reference um, 
because you know in the back of my mind I was like this could make a very interesting comic and like comics are uniquely positioned to kind of illustrate that inherently fragmented nature of memory especially when you're taking it from multiple sources so it just seemed like the most natural thing um so yeah definitely part of it was I knew I wanted to interview both my dad and my uncle um I mean Yaya's two sons and then I also ended up interviewing my second cousin Vicky um and it turns out, I mean, it was great because then I learned there was a bunch of other people in my family who have done their own kind of like pockets of research. I mean, she she also considered, she called my yaya her yaya too. So like when she was a child, she had this whole different experience of like walking over to the house in Evanston and like yaya had like a beauty salon in the basement. Like she and her sister would just like go down there and, you know, her sister ended up going into beauty and was encouraged by yaya. Like all these stories that like, you know, I had never heard before and yeah um and also I mean these different people the thing that I was really interested in also was like the visual record like I wanted you know the photos I wanted to see like what life was like and I mean coming from an art history background too it just it's an easier way for me to engage with the historical material if I have like an image to go along with it um so I got to see all these photos. Yaya never wrote anything down, but I found out that my uncle had just like a box full of documents. Like he has her beauty school certificate. He's got like the naturalization papers. He's got her high school yearbook, like a ton of stuff that I just didn't realize was still around. Cause I mean, I guess I never asked. So ask, I guess it's like the main <laughs> lesson here. Um, but in addition to that, like I actually, I feel like I did the interviews kind of later because my whole thing was like, I don't actually really quite understand. Like back in January, I'm like, why did the catastrophe happen? Like what the hell was going on in the world at that time? You know, in high school, it's also America centric when it comes to World War One and World War Two. I was like, I really don't understand the colonial narratives that were happening. Yeah. Um, with the Greeks and all that stuff. So first starting with like essays from both the Greek and Turkish perspective about like early 20th century. And then you lent me a very good book that was just a broader history of just like Greeks throughout time and why in the early 20th century, there was, you know, this rise of Hellenistic pride and like the want to have Constantinople to be, you know, the star of the Greek, I mean, empire, I don't know if that's the word, but you know, like all these things that kind of got kickstarted in a very gradual way and like how World War One pretty much fucked up everybody in the entire world is what I got from. <laughs> yeah, research. absolutely. <laughs> um, and I feel like we're so like hyper fixated on World War Two. I was like, World War Two only be happened because of World War One. World War One is the one where fucking Wilson was like, oh, nationalism and like, fucking euros like oh god <laughs> i just got like more pissed off about everything due to this research uh, which is good i mean i'm really thankful it gives a lot more context for how all these different things are hyper interconnected um so that, that was kind of the 
quote unquote, I guess like two prong approach. Like I did that, that was all the history stuff. And then for my own sake, cause I was like, I want something like just for me. Uh, I read Hillary Shoots' Disaster Drawn, which is about how comics have been used and not even just comics, just like the act of drawing has been used to illustrate and describe traumatic histories and like whether that's like general histories journalism or like personal familial histories and why it's a particularly effective way of doing that and I think that actually gave me I don't know it was just it was just very interesting and it kind of vindicated all of my own views throughout the years of how comics like I was always like comics seem like really good at telling these stories and this book was like you are correct and I was like great <laughs> cool thanks for giving me footnotes for that uh yeah yeah I think it, you said earlier that it, like comics are like inherently able to handle these fractured narratives so it's great to have an academic text that's like yes and this yeah. is the research that I've done to prove this yeah um, exactly and I, I'm so I, I want to kind of put that notion a bit on the back burner for later because I do want to talk about like influences, both like academic texts talking about the nature of comics and how they can function as a powerful storytelling tool, but also other comics you are looking at to develop this research and narrative. Uh, but I want to stay on the research question for just a little bit longer because I am curious now it's been about a year since you got the grant. Yeah. Um, and this is a huge topic to cover, especially thinking of like a large sprawling family narrative combined with historical under underpinnings that are difficult to understand for those of us who grew up in America with a very specific approach to history in school. So you have to do all this background. Um, do you like where do you see yourself in the timeline of this research? essentially still at the very beginning yeah I mean I can give a very vague notion of what was happening at the time but it's certainly not like yeah it's still not that deep and that the nature of this research is like the more that you find out the more questions you have and the mm -hmm. more you get kind of into these tangents that are also interesting particularly when you like oh I'm telling the story of one person you can't tell the story of one person because their life is so intertwined with all of these people that help them to get to where they ended up. I mean, I need to, one avenue of research I really want to go into is, you know, the aunt that she ended up living with in Chicago mm -hmm. when she immigrated, like her aunt and then her other aunts and like cousins and stuff she had a very close relationship with that family and that family was kind of I don't know I don't want to say like non-traditional but like I always assume growing up that you know oh my relatives are all like Greek Orthodox yeah but it turns out that actually most of Yaya's family was Protestant and that there was this Protestant population apparently because of missionaries that came through Turkey, you know. When we were talking about this a while yeah. ago, that just kind of, really, that really shocked me. Never have I ever exactly. met a Greek who was not Orthodox. No, and I kept on asking my parents, I was like, why were they Protestant? And they're like, I, they, they just were. And I'm like, okay. 
And it's actually, you know, trying to find academic articles about that has been more difficult than I would like or I thought would be. Um, but yeah, like, um, they're a Protestant. They're one of Mayaya's aunts, Athena, did also write uh, kind of a, a little autobiography. It's all handwritten though. So it's like really difficult to read, <laughs> but, but she talks about like, cause she, you know, this whole family grew up in Bursa and it's like, they talk about like, oh yeah, there's the Greek Orthodox church and there was the Protestant church. Like it was a Christian town, but that didn't mean like one thing. Um, so that whole family really fascinating. One of her uncles was this Protestant minister and essentially their house in Evanston was kind of a halfway house for Christian immigrants coming from like the Ottoman Empire. So it's, and then that gets into like how religion plays into it. Cause you know, I always thought that like, oh, my grandparents were like very religious. And like my uncle and my dad were like, no, not really. And I'm like, but like they went to church, they were heavily involved in church. And you said that like literally Yaya prayed to Lady Theotaku. <laughs> To like give her a second child and like had this whole thing and they're like just the reference point they're like yeah but like her uncle was a minister and like there's also this sense of like above religion is education like just a very highly educated family you know her cousin moody was like an english dean at northwestern and all this stuff and you know, Yaya was like very well, well read. And like, that was the most kind of important thing in this family's life was like, you have to be educated. Um, I don't know. It's just like, it's, it's interesting to see how all these different people like identified. Um, Cause Yaya definitely identified like as an American. She was yeah. like, I don't really fucking care about Greece or Turkey, even though like she was, <laughs> very like you know she she was an immigrant i listened to a, a a cassette tape with her speaking and she like she still had an accent and stuff like you wouldn't mistake her for like a somebody who was born in america but in that tape she was like i wish for the best for everybody who lives in greece and turkey um yeah i don't really care like this is where my home is this is where i found my happiness like um have you ever gone back Yes. Um, she and Papu took, I think, at least two trips back to okay. Turkey and Greece. Because obviously, um, with the forced exchange of populations, like a lot of family did end up in Greece. Yeah. Um, but they also went to Turkey and like, you know, Papu went back to Smyrna, then Izmir and like found you know, the girl that he was dating before he had to leave and all this stuff, like, you know, and it was like, cool, you know, I mean, yeah. I remember asking my dad about that trip, because I was like, you know, you get this notion, like, oh, like, my grandparents had to leave this country, like, in really terrible circumstances, it must be like, so traumatic to go back or something. And my dad was like, no, like, he, he saw friends, everybody was cool. Like, and it's again, that thing, it's like, oh, well, yeah. You know, a government does something horrendous, but that doesn't mean like their life there, everybody that they met, like he had Turkish friends, like 
nobody actually cares in their day-to-day life who worship what like it was yeah. just you know so I don't even know where I was going with this <laughs> but the research there's a lot more research to do there's a lot of stuff I don't know uh, and there's a lot of interesting threads that like when it comes to like self-identity when it comes to religion when it comes to um you know once Yaya got more settled how did her life impact people who are still here um yeah yeah I guess when you when I first heard about this research I never had any doubt that it would become a comic right mm -hmm. like that's given the, who you are and the nature of your work um I'm just imagining like a very large drawn family tree at some point in this in this book um so yes with that I have a few questions about like do you see like, how do you see yourself in this narrative or have you found a place for yourself in it yet or how you're going to be interacting with it as a potential character in this story I mean I think it's very um mm. Ugh, I hate to do this. I'm going to bring up Mouse um, because, well, you know, the structure of that book is that like Art Spiegelman is a definite character. And I think that's important because, you know, as much as it's about the Holocaust, it's also about his relationship with his father and how he's coming into the story. Like you get the scenes of him having these interviews and how he's getting this information. I think that's another strength of comics is that like it really forefronts the subjectivity of the story, like, you know, this is all being drawn by hand by a person. You're only going to know what this person knows and what this person decides you get to see. Um, so I think I would want to have scenes of me interacting with people like in the present and like how I come by this information, because I think that's important to just kind of forefront, like, I, I would hate to present the story as kind of like, this is the absolute truth. I don't know. Like, I wasn't there. Like, <laughs> I was born in 1991. How the hell am I supposed to know what happened, like, all these decades before? Um, it's a reimagining. And I think that's how I would kind of deal with it. Like, this is how I see it in my head. And that's all it can really ever be. And that's both like, kind of beautiful but also you know it might be unsatisfactory but like that's all we kind of get in life so um yeah and especially since as I said the research is like causing me to kind of well develop new relationships with people in my family I would want to kind of highlight that and be able to be like I thought this was a story this is how this person remembers this story because even amongst the family members I've talked to like I've gotten conflicting information like and I think that's actually really interesting and I would love to illustrate that um yeah so I I don't know it would have to be very interwoven which is complicated but I don't yeah. think there's an uncomplicated way to tell something like this is this um, at all like challenging some of your ideas of your own autobiocomics work? Uh, or I guess has it shifted how you see uh, like autobio as a like genre in comics? 
Not really, <laughs> honestly, because I think they're even within the genre of autobio, there's kind of subsections like there isn't as much pressure in like a diary comic. Like there's something very straightforward about that. Um, with more of a memoir type thing, especially when you're trying to speak to other people's experiences, I think that's just a whole other kind of process. Um, but in narratives where like, I'm very clear, like I am just talking about my experience. I don't think my perspective on that has really changed. Though I will say like, it's gotten me more interested in kind of expanding the perspective of those stories. Like, this is what happened to me. How can I bring in like outside things to further develop like the themes of that story? Like how can my experience kind of dovetail into a broader thinking about something else just kind of thinking deeper about like why do I even want to tell this story like what's so interesting about it and thinking of new ways to to say that it's also like from the outside it just seems like sort of a daunting task like growing the story which is already complicated but moving from uh like a, a larger body of work that you've completed which is like the dailies or these like shorter form autobiocomics uh so I, I both want to start talking about your auto your um your daily comics but i'm also just curious as to how you're you're like gearing up for this larger task um i am giving myself no deadline on this larger thing i fully want yeah. to do like small smaller longer narratives you know what i kind of mean like i if this is something that i'm gonna have to build up to um and yeah, I'm like, this will, I wouldn't be surprised if I'm like fucking 40, 50 and I'm like, okay, I'm finally ready. <laughs> like, I'm not, I know if I put like too much pressure on myself right now, like I want it to be more organic. Um, and there are a lot of other stories that I know are more feasible to make right now that I think would be a good practice and preparation for making something a bit more hefty um yeah. yeah and also there's just the practical reason of like i need to do so much more research like drawing thumbnailing writing is like so kind of or i want to have like a big pile of research that i can even whittle down right now i feel like i'm just like yeah not enough yeah, not enough work has been done everything seeing what's yeah. actually there yeah and there's i mean i even within this year i wanted to talk to like another second cousin um and I just didn't get the time um I need to reach out to her and like plan a trip to do that and you know who's done like a lot of research but again it's like I say like oh I want to visit Connie and Vicky's like yeah Connie's done a lot of research I don't think I trust it <laughs> like what what do you mean <laughs> what do you mean <laughs> or like it's it's there's a fragment of truth but like does she exaggerate you know because yeah. She's dealing with more with her family. Like, you know, everybody has their specific branch of the family tree that they're kind of focused on. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, I think, <laughs> and I've been thinking about this recently because I was just at um, the Nonfiction Comics Festival in Vermont. Yeah. And I pretty much, like, only had my dailies to show. Like, I did not get my 
stuff together in time to make something new, uh, which was fine. Like, but even sitting there, I was like, yeah, I want to do more longer form narratives. Like I'm, I don't see a, a future where I'm not doing dailies in some capacity because they are fun and they're a great, great way to kind of appreciate the moment I'm in. Um, but I don't know. I think if I do another collection of dailies, I might actually put it like in a huge like collection of all, all the editions just in one book and be like, okay, this is the thing I'll bring to fairs and then move on to other things um, for physical, physical books. I don't know. I'm getting restless. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, the, the dailies are also just such a great way to highlight your skills and strengths and showing like in relationships and your skill with dialogue. And I've, I've, I feel like I've like fanned out a little bit already on your ability to handle characters and uh, like body language, just like gesture as storytelling. Um, so I'm curious as to like how that, uh, how you assimilate all of these aspects into the dailies into such a small little nugget of story. Because uh, they are like kind of perfectly composed for social media, obviously yeah. having like a finite number of like square panels to put into Instagram, but then they can translate into this like pamphlet form or a larger book form very easily. Yeah, I don't. I mean, it's that's it's hard to say because that's just like the stuff I always enjoyed drawing. Um, like I was always very into animation when I was younger and that's all about like movement and exaggeration and you know all that stuff um and it also helps that like the dailies you know the quote-unquote characters that I'm drawing are people that I know in real life so I have that observation of them I have that fondness for them um that makes it really easy to kind of capture those dynamics um yeah I don't know also I mean I take a ton of like photos of myself too as a reference for like more difficult poses or like very specific um gestures and you've yeah. done like three volumes of the dailies now I've done have, hmm? have you done three volumes of the dailies in like proper book form four four yeah Five is a really good number to have. It is. So, yeah, it is. Get a handful uh, there. Exactly. Um, and it would be, I mean, because obviously the first two dailies, they were kind of like the first zines that I was producing. So they're still kind of in that like very like DIY format, just, you know, stapled printer paper. And I was like, they might deserve like a little bit better treatment, like in the future. <laughs> like, uh, I mean, because obviously the third one right now is a risograph, which is really nice. And the fourth one was thick enough to have like a little itty bitty spine. So um, I think it would be cool to have the context of like, oh boy, can I do math? I mean, it started in 2017. Like, I don't know if I, whenever I'm going to have enough comics for another edition, like 2024, 2025, that's like a it's a good chunk of time. Large, yeah, it's a chunk of time. 
a lot of yeah. things changed. <laughs> It'd be cool to think about it. Yeah. Um, you know, we talked about this a little bit before as well, but I think there is a connection between like your ability to handle these dailies and focus on this and also like your practice with figure drawing. Mm -hmm. um, so I do see you post regularly uh, doing some local figure drawing in DC. Do you see like, how does that sit for you in your in your practice beyond just like practicing? Just uh, how does it relate to the cartooning? I mean, just like a basic knowledge of the human body is always super helpful if you are <laughs> drawing human characters. Um, yeah, and also I I love figure drawing because I feel like comics are so much. I'm I'm already contradicting myself. I was like, comics are so much of a puzzle, but so is figure drawing. But I think comics are kind of more of like a narrative puzzle. It's like, okay, like what am I going to show and how am I going to show it in each panel? Whereas with figure drawing, it's like this is what I see in front of me. Like, how do I fit it all on the page? And like. It's about being much more present. I do, I don't know. It's like, it's obviously an important form of practice, but it's also just like, it feels like a workout. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm like jealous of both your and Jennifer's ability to do regular figure drawing. I mean, Jennifer is partially going there regularly because she's also running the show. Yeah. But I also feel like what's really nice about at least kind of incorporating figure drawing into a practice, especially with like comics, is um, you really kind of, it's not even just about like studying form, but kind of like understanding like the essence of that physical person in space too. You know what I mean? Like it like relates a lot with the way you're handling daily. It's just kind of like the physicality of, or like the presence of your characters within the panels and kind of like how that breaks down within compositions and stuff like that. No, I really appreciate that because that's actually something that I am trying to get better at. I mean, there's one, like you can like draw an expression or something, but like if they aren't believably in a space, even if the perspective is off, like, you know, it still has to conform to some kind of visual logic that's consistent throughout the panels. And I do think figure drawing is hyper useful. I mean, how often do you just like meditate on like, how does someone sit in a chair? Like that's really integral content, like information about not only how the human body works, but how that specific person that's decided to sit in that chair. That can tell you like so much about a character and so much about a person. Um, yeah, that's just all to say like, it's all fun. It's all great. It's all well, interconnected. The, the other thing too is, I mean, not to kind of like drop this experience, but like you also draw people in public a lot. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And so yeah. your ability to be able to kind of like capture those people, I'm, I mean, I never noticed, but like without people <laughs> actually being able to kind of like render them in a way that like you do kind of get the essence of this character where like your coffee shop drawings or like your, like your drawings on public transportation, you're kind of like, how long was the interaction with this person before they just left? Do you know what I mean? And kind of being able to know, kind of like, because like my instructor's always like kind of, you know, like, you have three minutes to get the basic form down. You know what I mean? Like, mm. how do you get the most information with a very like minimal amount of time? Well, yeah, that's also, and like, especially for cartooning where you want to use the least amount of line to get the most amount of information. 
But um, I also was going to put a plug in. Once you start doing figure drawing, it's addictive. And so kind of like being able to give yourself the like time and space where you're just kind of like, like turning off things and like forcing yourself to like see what's in front of you and just kind of like being able to capture that. And um, it's fun. You should come. <laughs> yes, highly recommended. I totally yeah. agree with that. Um, I would like to kind of work backwards a little bit. Um, what was, I'm curious about like how you got into comics as something that you really wanted to pursue and start to work on. And then from there, like what was your first like work that you put out and tried to distribute? Um, I think, you know, like, I don't know if either of you have this experience, but like as a kid, like I would always take scrap pieces of paper, staple them together and just do like drawing after drawing after drawing. Like I loved making stories with drawings and like I couldn't write at the time. So I'd get my dad and be like, this is what's happening in this drawing and you know, all this stuff. So I think that was just always a natural inclination for communication. Um, I always just like drawing. I always wanted to be good at drawing. Uh, I recently saw somewhere online somebody like drew this comic about like how they got good at drawing out of spite and I kind of agree with that like I, I remember being in elementary school and if I saw another kid get like praise they're like wow like in art class like this drawing is so good I was like, oh, it should have been me like, I obviously need to be better you're behind them just like snapping off your pencils in half yeah and but the fact that you feel that way just kind of shows that like for some reason, this specific skill is important to you. So like, part of it is spite, but part of it is just like this inherent, you're inherently attracted to this practice. Um, but I think specifically with comics, you know, I feel like when I was like preteen, younger teenager, um, it just happened to coincide with this time when like web comics are starting to become a thing and I specifically remember going to uh, a Borders RIP. Um, and in Wisconsin, there was a tornado warning. So we all had to go into the basement and the basement happened to be where the graphic novel section was. So waiting for the siren to like, you know, go off, I wandered into the graphic novel section and was seeing comics that like weren't superheroes and were, you know, indie comics. And I was like, oh, like that just kind of opened my eyes that like a comic could kind of be anything you wanted. Um, and that after that, like I got really interested. I started like buying a bunch of them. I started reading a bunch of them. Um, in high school, especially, I was making all of these characters and drawing them in my notebooks and making comics just to kind of like entertain myself and my friends. Um, yeah, so like first, you know, and I still think about those characters. Like I would love to do fiction comics too. Um, but I think with the rise of internet comics, then I started seeing like all these autobiographical comics. And then that was a new realization like, oh, regular life can be interesting um, depending on how you present it. Mm -hmm. So during college, I was still doing kind of like slightly like zany, like very comedic, um, comedic action kind of fictional comics. 
while at the same time kind of doing more comics and drawings about my own life. Um, so I would say like my first in high school, like I had like pirate characters and like a Joan of Arc character. I still have zines of Joan of Arc that I've been trying to sell for freaking years. I still think she's hilarious um, and really fun to draw. And then, um, yeah, after grad school, I started doing the dailies just as a way to start making comics again, because during grad school, all of my drawing had just been kind of like marginalia or just like things I did for my own sake. And I wasn't really sharing them in a, in a broader context. And I'd always wanted to do zine fairs, but, you know, in my early 20s, I was just like hyper paralyzed by anxiety and like imposter syndrome. And I was like, I can't go to a fair unless like I'm a quote unquote established artist, which like, I don't even know what that is honestly anymore. Um, so yeah, like my first fair was like in 2017. Um, was that the DC No, DC that was the one in, that was current books. Oh, in, uh, okay. yeah, okay. yeah. That's great. Uh, throwback yeah. yeah definitely huge throwback that too yep yeah it was great <laughs> yeah shout out to studio 23 in richmond i know yeah great great place um cool so i, I kind of want to tackle another question that we i pinned and just did not come back to um but thinking about like things you had seen or things that got you into comics. I'm curious about like what comics you're looking at now or what other visual sources you're looking at that could possibly be informing your current research. Because we were talking about uh, disaster, disaster drawn. Um, but I'm curious about other uh, comics work that you're looking at as some sort of model that you could that you could reference. That is a great question. I'm trying to think of the last comic I bought, which is really um, thumbs down. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Zoom wow. is just reading my mind now. I didn't even have to do anything. Damn. Um, <laughs> damn, actually, no, I swear. Oh, the last comic I actually read was uh, Emily Carroll um, for spooky season. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, mm, she's incredible. It doesn't really relate to my research in any way. She's just like a fantastic, um, fantastic storyteller. And her genre is horror, which I've never done. Like, I don't, I don't know how she does it. And I hope that's her pronoun because I have not checked in many years. Um, anyway, yeah, honestly, I mean, when I was doing the research, I was obviously looking at the comics that um, were in that book, which was Art Spiegelman um, doing Joe Zach Sacco too, and a Japanese artist whose name I now cannot remember, which is really unfortunate, um, who did Barefoot Jen um, about kids who survived the atomic bomb really interesting stuff that I had never seen before. Through that, I also uh, looked at Citizen, I think it's 13, 
30, something like that, which is not like strictly a comic, but it was made by a woman who was in the internment camps um, in the US during like the whole, during World War II, the Japanese internment camps. It's just like, she drew all these pictures of her just like looking at what was happening with like captions, um, which was really fascinating. But I, I don't know what's inspiring me right now. How sad is that? Just like general stuff. I don't know. Yeah, Jen and I, I went to the the market last night, and I picked up a print of like Gibson Girls, and I've been like staring at that. Great purchase. Such great line work. I mean, like any any drawing that has great expressive line work. I'm like, that's that's it. You got <laughs> like, the golfer one, right? The what? Like you got the golfing lady one? No, I got the I got the girls on the beach. Oh, I got the schoolgirl ones. I love it. <laughs> yeah, like I brought all the prints that I got, and I was like, so like, oh my god, I can't believe I got three prints, and I got them home. I was like, I love all of these. What the? What was I talking about? Like, treat yourself. Or, you treat yourself. Yeah, <laughs> so cool. Um, also, like, it's such a, a hard question. Like, anytime I ask someone asks me what like the last book I read was, I just go blank. It's like I yeah, can't I mean, remember. I, I am reading um, Demon Copperhead right now and really enjoying it. Um, honestly, ever since I found out that uh, Tilly Walden, who, I mean, I love as a cartoonist, she always says, like, I don't really read comics. I just, like, read prose books. I think it's interesting to take influences from, like, different forms of storytelling because I do think then you yeah. approach your own medium in a different way. Um, so... I mean, really, the influences are everywhere. Books, comics, movies, especially, too. Um, yeah. Cool. Uh, well, I think that the last question they had uh, around your work before we wrap things up was actually a little bit more related to other things that you read and consume or watch. Because um, I'm also really interested in, in how you approach your like fan drawing and comics uh mm. you've incorporated star trek next generation and xena in several of your works and i just the relationship between like comics creators and comics creators as fans of popular culture i think just that having that uh way to work out some of that is really interesting or fun and i'd like to hear yeah. you talk a little bit about like why it's is a star huge and such a good thing <laughs> since this is oh my gosh ugh, i just want to show off since this is a visual medium here my xeno oh whoa she swings us <laughs> she's so cool like i that's amazing i unboxed her and like rediscovered childhood joy for the first time in many years it was like ridiculous how happy I was <laughs> I mean I think I don't know what it is about fandom that like ignites like it just it gives you permission to be very enthusiastic about something um yeah. but I also I mean both well Star Trek's just a great show um particularly Deep Space Nine I think that's still my favorite series because I think it does the best in like using science fiction to really comment on contemporary issues. And like so many episodes that they made are still relevant today 
in kind of sad ways, like the episodes that talk about inequality and like all this stuff and like how it deals with, you know, spirituality and, um, wow, mine went blank. Politics, I, I don't know, just like everything, everything. Um, along with having like great characters and being entertaining and being funny, um, I think, especially when there's a nostalgia aspect, because um, the comic that I made like about Worf, like it's about Star Trek, but it's more about being a kid and understanding why you are drawn to certain characters. Like, what does that say about you and how do stories affect us and help us learn about ourselves? And I mean, and that can also be like very funny um with like Xena <laughs> I mean I it's just such a weird show and I think part of it like yes there's a connection to characters but a large part of it for me is also like the time period in which it was made really fascinates me like that late 1990s early 2000s because yeah. I remember there was like talk of like doing a reboot of Xena and the only thing I could think of was like, I don't think Xena can exist in another time period than the like the specific one it was made. Um, and I think that's really interesting when you look at different pieces of media because like stories don't exist in a vacuum. Like they tell yeah. you about the time that they were produced, like, you know, what the thinking was and um, yeah, I don't know. I, yeah. But the, I've been telling people like Xena is my Roman Empire. I do think about it way too much. Um, <laughs> and I think it's funny because Xena's Roman Empire is literally the Roman Empire. She was obsessed with the Roman Empire in the show. <laughs> That's great. I, I just love the idea of like fandom as an excuse to be hugely enthusiastic. Mm -hmm. I, that's, yeah. yeah, I think that's a really positive thing. Yeah, um, I mean, obviously, I think there are also, when a fandom goes too far, then it becomes like a very toxic place. But like, the core yeah. of why people gravitate towards a fandom is that, you know, they're looking for like-minded people and a piece of media can become an avenue from which to like make new friends. Like, yeah, I'm obsessed with Xena and I'm obsessed with Star Trek. But like, I have a bunch of friends right now who are obsessed with BTS and Blackpink and like, that's a fandom I don't entirely understand, but like, they're like, oh, like I go to dance parties. I meet so many cool people. Like, it's just, it's a means of human connection in this yeah. shitty, <laughs> shitty world. So <laughs> you got to be grateful for it. Well, I think whenever you want to make your Xena fanzine or bootleg comics, uh, Paper Cuts will be here to to print it for you. Um, I... I have so many fucking feelings because they tried to bring back the Xena comics. And I think there's an inherent misunderstanding. They're like, we're going to make Xena and Gabrielle like a real couple. And I was like, I don't care what anybody says. They were a real couple in the fucking show. Like, what are you even talking about? And I think that making them a couple is like, oh, they're sharing a bed and they kiss each other goodnight. I was like, no, no. In the show, there was yearning, there was pining. Like, 
if you want to make it gay, make it gay. Like, we don't want them to see them just like already in a relationship. No, show the beginning of the relationship. Like there's so much potential that they just squander. Don't understand the show. Highly disappointed. See, this is, anyway. this is actually your higher calling. This is what you need to be. Uh, exactly. There's just a lot of potential there. I mean, I don't know. That's, yeah, again, fan fic, all that stuff. usually just become daily zemas. Mm, oh, God. That's essentially what the episode of Day of the Life was. I'm sorry. I'm such a fucking nerd. Um, well, Athena, before we let you go to continue watching uh, Xena for the rest of the evening. It's not um, on streaming. I can't oh, watch no. it. Unless I want to oh, pay. Shit. I know. I just need to get the box set. I need to grow up. Anyway, yeah. continue. Do you have a DVD player? I do. Oh, wow. Way to go. Thank you. All right. Well, Christmas list. Yeah, for sure. Uh, well, Athena, for those of uh, those people listening at home, where can they find your work? How can they keep up with what you're doing? Yeah, um, I mean, I do have a website. It's just athenanailer.com. Uh, does not update that often. Should be updated. You can find more, you know, consistent updates on Instagram at athena.nailer. Well, Tina, thanks so much for spending time with us. I'm glad we found the this on the record as a extended conversation for like a few short minutes. Again, yeah, absolutely, this is great. To Thank speak, you. you